0: We've been talking about tough topics, and uh, I do want to thank you as a church for your support as we are going to enter into another one this week on the topic of depression and suicide. And I was just amazed in the first service, um, again, uh, the response of people when we talked about this really difficult topic. The other thing I want to just mention is that in a few weeks, we all know that we'll be... um, going to the voting boxes. And I just want to encourage you to participate and to pray and to understand and to seek God as you go and you deliver that vote. May we not be people who don't take that responsibility seriously. And I just want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to pray for that and for this service right now. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would be moving in our nation we know you're sovereign. We thank you that you have given us this great privilege that we can actually have a part to play in this whole process. God, would you, would you lead and direct your person to be in that? Give us wisdom and understanding each as we respond, as you lay it on our heart for the person you're calling us to vote for. Father, we also just want to say, with this topic this morning, about depression and And what sometimes leads to ending a person's life. God, would your light shine in a way that is loving and gracious and yet is powerful that it puts an end to the plan of the enemy who wants us to live in hopelessness and despair. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. You know, depression is not something that just hits other people. Um. It's not something that just hits the community at large. It is actually something that uh, has an impact on people who are believers. Uh, people who, you know, know and walk with God and have an experience with God. And if I was just, just to ask today how many have experienced depression or maybe are in depression right now, I think we'd be amazed if people were real and just raised their hand. Some of the greatest uh, saints of the Bible and of the church have experienced depression. Job experienced depression in the Word of God. We read about Job. Read about Jeremiah. Read about David. In fact, in Psalm 13, the scripture for this morning, it says for the director of music, this is a song that David wrote. It was not one of those feel-good, lift-me-up songs. It was one of those expressions of the heart. They cried out to God said, "Here's where I'm at." And David was one who experienced depression, experienced it for a lengthy period of time. You can see it and read in his words, "How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Ever had that experience, you just, go, God, when's this going to end? Where are you? I don't sense your presence. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? If you've had experience of this, you know what that's like. How long will my enemy triumph over me? And then he cries, look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes. You know, create that that spark, that, that, that sense of light in my eyes once again. Or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes, they'll rejoice when I fall. And then he makes this declaration, which often happens in times of depression. It's just this declaration. I, I trust. I'm, I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing. I will, says David to the Lord, for he has been good to me. I don't feel it now, but I can make this proclamation, says David, that you have been good to me. There's others throughout history, Martin Luther, um, John Calvin, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever, would, was shared to his congregation. He, he actually said back in 1866, one of the greatest preachers in history, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Luther. He described it as all the doubt, turmoil, pang, tremor, panic, despair, desolation, and desperation which inspade the spirit of a person. Was this great giant who reformed the church. Stories told of Luther's wife that she dressed one morning in all black. She, she dressed in mourning one day. And in the midst, of, it was of one of his depressions, and Luther was moping around and he asked, Who died? Her reply was that no one had, but the way that he was acting, she thought God himself must have died. That's humorous, but you can imagine the impact and effect that, that, kind of, that depression has on the people that you love the most. In fact, depression is a serious, but you need to know it's a treatable illness, both medically and spiritually. It's an illness of the brain that affects moods, feelings, behavior, and physical health. It's not just the blues, something you have for just a short period of time, necessarily. I mean, we all go through blues, but it's the kind of sustained lack of energy and sense of despair and hopelessness that lasts sometimes weeks, months, and for some years. But it is something that can be treated. Depression is recognizable, and it is a treatable illness, but you need to know that more than 19 million people suffer with this in fact only one out of three actually seek help they just live with it because it's a hidden disease it's silent it's it's not seen kind of like heart disease heart disease or diabetes or asthma some of these things depression it needs to be treated professionally and one of the things we're going to talk about today is it needs to have people come around and help lead you to the kind of sources, whether it be medical, whether it be therapy and counseling. Or, and, and again, we're going to talk specifically also about the church, the work of the Lord, the Spirit, and a person's heart and life. Depression is a hidden disease. In fact, 80% of depressed people are not receiving any treatment at all. 54% believe that depression is just a personal weakness. And it's not that. 41% of depressed women are embarrassed to seek help. I'm going to ask Rule to come and I'm going to have him share his story. And as he comes, I want you to look at this next slide. Untreated depression is the number one cause of suicide. So 80% of people are not receiving treatment. Some of you know Rule and they see him running around. Rule is such an incredible guy. He had knee surgery on Monday and he's doing this today. Before, before I ask him to share, I just want to share just a few things. Each year, more than 30,000 people die by suicide in the U.S., and it makes it the the eighth leading cause of death of people 25 to 34 years of age. After I got done speaking this morning, a 21-year-old came up to me and said, I wish I'd have brought five of my friends here today. 15% of depressed people commit suicide. 95% of people who die by suicide are depressed. Many of them are not reported. Worldwide, suicide causes more deaths per year than homicide or war. And and catch this, depression will be the second largest killer after heart disease by by 2020. That's what they predict. So we're dealing with something that needs to be exposed. And I've asked Rule if he would share his story, and, uh, and then we'll continue after that. March
1: 1st. 1988, was a day that I'd looked forward to for a long time. Three of my friends from Bible Study Fellowship and I had planned a skiing trip out to Colorado. And uh, one of the guys was going to go out early to ski a couple days with his brother, and he would be there to pick uh, the three of us up the evening before our ski trip. We left Minneapolis about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, got out to Colorado we're all excited about the week we were going to spend together, and we walked down to pick up all of our equipment, and here was Jerry, as he had promised, there to pick us up, except he had a somewhat startled look on his face, and he said, you know, I walked in here tonight and they were paging me and gave me this phone number, and he showed me the number on a piece of paper that he had. And they told me to call this number right away. Do you recognize the number? I said, no, I don't. But then I looked, and uh, here was my neighbor's name above the number. And I said, well, that's my neighbor. There's got to be something wrong at my house. So I quickly stepped to the phone and called home. And uh, I was kind of startled because a male voice answered the phone. And I thought maybe in my excitement about dialing the number, I dialed the wrong number, and I said, uh, who is this? And the person on the other side said, this is John Vodder." Well, John Vodder was our minister here at the time. And I said, John, did something happen to Mary? He said, no rule. It's far worse than that. Your son, Kelly, took his life this afternoon. I said, John, you've got to be kidding. He said, Rule, I'd never kid you about something as serious as that. And in my shock, I hung up the phone and a few minutes later realized I hadn't uh, even asked to talk to Mary. So I stepped back to the phone and called home again, and it was a good thing that I did because in the excitement of all of this, they had forgotten to tell me that they had made reservations for me on the last plane out of Denver that night. I can remember as I walked down to get onto that airplane one of the prayers that I had was please don't have me sit next to anybody tonight. And when I got on the plane and we took off I knew that when I got home I would find out that there had been a mistaken identity. There's no way that Kelly could have done something like this. Well, I got home walked down the corridor at the airport, saw Mary, took one look at her, and I knew there'd been no mistake. Two of us grabbed each other and wept. The next few days were absolute chaos. You go through making reservations for a funeral, deciding what the content of that funeral will be, uh, trying to make uh, plans for the review, picking out a burial site picking out a coffin, going through all this, the phone rings, people come over, food shows up. Uh, The best thing I can say is I think God gives you uh, a rush on that to be able to handle it. And the reality is, even at that point, you are not aware of what really has happened to you. As a survivor of a suicide, I can tell you that I know the anger I know the pain. Without any question, I know what denial is all about. And I know what the feeling of shock is when you get that kind of a phone call. Mary and I have three sons. This was taken about a year, I guess, before Kelly took his life. The one on the right is Scott. He's 48 years old now. Uh, he's a physician down in Wichita, Kansas, and the uh, senior vice president of the clinic and the chief medical officer. He has five children, uh, four boys and one girl. Girl girl's the youngest. Uh, and uh, Matthew, his oldest son, will graduate from college this year. Kent is the one in the middle. He lives here in Minneapolis. He's also involved in medicine. He's a nurse in bone marrow transplant at the University of Minnesota and works with kids. He has two children of his own, a boy and a girl. And obviously the one on the left is Kelly. Uh, Kelly was 23 years old at this time. He was finishing up his senior year at the University of Minnesota. He had a lot of trauma going on in his life at this point in time. He had a girlfriend that uh, he had broken up with. He had two friends that drowned in a hunting accident. And he had a brother that was going through a divorce. And I remember one evening we were sitting at the table. Kelly was still living at home. And uh, we were talking about Kent and a concern about him. And Kelly said, well, what are you so worried about him for? And I said, well, Kent, you never know. At a time like this, uh, when people really get down and out, they can resort to suicide. Daddy said, for crying out loud, he'd never do anything that stupid. What happened between the time of that statement And a few months later, when he took his own life. You know, we have chemicals in our brain, just as we have other chemicals in our body. And sometimes when these chemicals become deficient, we wind up becoming ill. It's no different than when a person who is a diabetic doesn't have insulin. And the same thing happens in our mind. The chemical that is in our brain called serotonin becomes depleted and when it does it plays a major trick on our mind and that trick is that the disease of depression winds up making somebody lose all of their self-worth it makes you feel like you are a burden to everyone else kelly moved out of the house two weeks before and i was concerned about whether he could afford an apartment And it can convince you that you are better off dead
0: than alive. Let me add to that that rule. Um, There is this convincing that goes on that you're better off dead than alive. This also convince themselves that so will everyone else be, right?
1: Uh, That's correct. That's one of the, as much as I've read about it, as many people as I've talked to, I still don't understand it. But that's exactly what happens. They are totally convinced that when they take their own life, then all of them around them will be better off as well. And that's why sometimes you will see a situation where, uh, and we've read of one just recently I guess, the last month, uh, out in California, where a, a father winds up killing his entire family and taking his own life.
0: Let me ask you a couple questions just to help people. How uh, how do you know if someone's depressed? Or what are the symptoms or signs? There. Or...
1: Well. Um, This is like any other disease, there are symptoms, and you can uh, take a look and find out what those symptoms are and be aware of those uh, within your own home or with people that you know. Uh, One of the things is difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions, and one of the things that will show up, especially with younger people, is that their grades will start to fail uh, in school. Uh, angry and moodiness is certainly a part of that crying very emotional uh, alcohol or drug use to make uh, to mask the feelings in fact they think that about 50% of the alcoholics are suffering from depression and self-medicate depression with alcohol fatigue or loss of energy loss of interest in ordinary activities Uh, One of the things that Kelly had, there was a job at City Center. He was a security guard there, and he really loved that job. And he would come home and tell us about it often, all the things that had gone on, drug busts, picking up shoplifters and whatever. And all of a sudden one day he came home and said, you know, I think I'm going to quit my job. It was just kind of a, a, we were stunned. I mean, it was a job that he loved. So when you see things like that happen, that's another indicator feeling sad, empty, or numb. And I can remember seeing visibly the sadness in him, thinking that he was dealing with this girlfriend problem or whatever the case may be, or the death of these two sons or two friends. And I would play cards with him to try and get his mind off of this, when really what was happening to him is he was suffering from major depression. Feeling hopeless, helpless, and worthless, Thoughts of suicide or plans to suicide. Persistent physical pains that don't respond to treatment. And gaining or losing weight. Um, You saw in that picture that Kelly was a weightlifter. He was a pretty bulky guy. Uh, Of the three of them, he was the youngest, but he was also the tallest and had the best build. He used to flaunt that quite a bit to his brothers. Uh, But he had lost 20 pounds. And I kept telling him how good he looked unbeknown to me that that was a sign
0: of depression. So those are the things that I would encourage you to watch for. But there are also some misconceptions people have. They kind of have, I think, what we call myths that are out there that um, can be.
1: And one of the myths is that no one can stop a suicide, that it's not, you can't prevent it. The truth is, if people in a crisis get help, they will probably never suicide again. Another myth is confronting a person about suicide will only make them angry and increase the risk of suicide. And I've heard this uh, all along. If you talk to somebody who knows somebody that's depressed, one of the first questions that's come up is, well, won't I put that idea of suicide in their mind? No, you won't. The fact is that asking one directly about suicide is very likely to prevent it. One of the other myths, only experts can prevent suicide, not true we talked about that a little bit already, but it's every one of us has that business. If you wind up with kids that are or, or people that you know that are going through some of these symptoms, don't hesitate to ask them about it. Another myth is once a person decides to complete suicide, there is nothing anyone can do to stop them. The fact is that suicide is the most preventable kind of death. Just conversing with them or talking to them about it will oftentimes prevent it or cause them to get help.
0: Just to kind of wrap that up, the the clues, the symptoms, those warning signs, uh, the greater the clues you observe, the more you see, the greater the risk. I mean, you can actually go down and kind of list those, and if you see a number of them, you know the risk is greater. So take all those signs and symptoms seriously. And the other is never keep suicide a secret. Make sure that gets out into the open. And, and what are some verbal signs that, that you would look for?
1: Uh, well, they can make you know, it almost sounds like uh, things that you'd kind of say, ah, everybody says that kind of thing. Uh, and the best example that I can give you is a young lady at um, Armstrong High School who was coming home from a soccer game on the soccer bus. She was a very good soccer player. And she made a statement on the bus that night, and she said, um, I may not be around on Monday. Uh, And a few other statements similar to that, pretty vague. Some young lady on that bus had the wisdom to realize that she should do something about it and went and told the counselor about it, and the counselor made an appointment to see her on Monday, and on Saturday she took her life. I'm not condemning the counselor. At that time there was very little that was known, but it does emphasize the seriousness of intervening as soon as you even have any suspect that something could be going
0: on. So if you see signs or symptoms, what would you say is the best advice to give to someone with regard to another person?
1: Uh, be direct. Don't be afraid to ask them. Uh, one of the other uh, examples I guess I could give you is uh, I got a call from parents one time who told me they thought their son was suffering depression, wouldn't listen to them. Would I be willing to sit down and talk to them? And so we went out and had lunch one day. And uh, I just told him, I said, you know, uh, people are worried about you. They think that uh, you're suffering from depression. And I said, I'd just like to ask you a few questions. I went through the list. And we went through the list. He answered, I think, six out of the eight or whatever was up there, but most of them. And then I said to him, have you ever thought about suicide? And he said, yes, I have. Do you know how you do it? Yes, I do. And any time somebody has gone so far as to have a pretty good idea how they would do it, and he explained to me in detail how we'd go about it. Well, the good news is that he committed to go, intervention part, to see his doctor that very day, and uh, he did get help, and as far as I know, he's doing fine today.
0: And so being direct, I mean, people are afraid, they're going to be angry, they're going to be all these things. Be direct, and here are some things we said that you can say. You can ask, have you been unhappy lately? Have you been thinking about any of your life? When people are upset as you, when people are as upset as you have been lately, they wish they were dead. I'm wondering, are you feeling this way? Uh, you've been miserable lately. I wonder if you're thinking about suicide, or just as you said, have you had thoughts of ending your life or killing yourself? Being direct is hard to do because you're always afraid. Well, it's going to push you over the edge. You're going can do that. But with all that you've known and that you've been a part of the best it is thing thinking, that
1: you can possibly do. And the other thing that's hard for a lot of people to do is use the word. Don't be afraid to ask if the person has been suicidal or have they thought about suicide. Use
0: the word. we got a picture of Kelly, and we want to thank you so much. And that's Kelly. And then uh, thank you, Rule. We also have some places, if you were just wanted to jot it down, of where you can get help. We encourage you. you after the service, Rule will be available. There will be others here in the church you can call, um, and we can help set you up for anything like that. But thank you so much for sharing. It's really interesting. When I shared this with the congregation a few weeks ago that we were going to be talking about this topic, I got some emails. I had people after the service come up to me, talk to me about depression, or talk to me about that they have experienced suicide in their own family. And one of the emails I received um, was from Gio. And I thought it would be good for Gio. Some of you in the church family know Gio Leno, but she's going to come. And from her perspective, as a sister uh, to someone who took her life, is going to share that.
2: Good morning. I thought this service might be a little easier because all my people were in the first service and then my parents showed up again, so I might be a little emotional <laughs> I'm going to share my experience with uh, my sister's depression and she was diagnosed with bipolar and uh, her ending up taking her life. And then I'll also share a little bit about how I've experienced depression and anxiety. My sister Christy was diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia about... Uh, at age 24, and she suffered with it for four years alongside her husband, and they, uh, she ended up taking her life after she stopped taking her medication, and this all happened about five years ago. She was my best friend, and it left a huge void in my life, and it also left a lot of questions to answer. This is when about the Lord took hold of my heart at that time, and I had been seeking, and she was a huge example in my life um, of Christ. I ended up experiencing the Holy Spirit at her funeral speaking right here, and uh, my story is one of tragedy and God's redeeming power, uh, and he is an example of how he is never sitting on his hands, even when things like this happen, he's there and using it. Struggling with depression, anxiety, or mental illness is very real and scary, making you feel like life is out of control. Once my sister died, I felt very depressed, and that depression soon turned into anxiety. A verse the Lord gave me at this time early on in my walk with him is found in Philippians 4, 6 through 9, and I'd like to read that to you. Don't worry about anything, or in some versions say, do not be anxious. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ. And now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about these things that are pure and lovely and admirable Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing. And God of peace will be with you. This verse really taught me to turn my anxiety into prayer and laying it at his feet. For example, uh, during some of those dark nights, after she passed away, I would um, go in my bathroom and I had this white cross in there and I would close my eyes and visualize this cross and I'd lay out my hands and put my fears and anxieties and depression in my hands and I just would visualize laying at the feet of Jesus where he wanted it to be because we have the honor of going directly to the Lord knowing that he is in control. He just longs to guard our hearts against anxious thoughts and actions. I feel like I have been healed and transformed beyond what I could hope for, but I still do struggle, and I believe that I still struggle so I can comfort those who are struggling because I really know how it feels. In my sister's case, uh, she was not healed supernaturally as she had hoped, and that can be a really hard thing to deal with, especially because she so deeply loved him she was very much a servant on her knees and in his word as much as she could be. And this gave me, after she died, it really gave me a glimpse into his big plan and that really helped to heal my heart and give me a peace, knowing that he used this tragedy for quite a big gain. Uh, Because we are not citizens of this world and we need to keep an eternal focus. Uh, At her funeral, many heard of his saving grace for the first time and about a loving Savior who longs to save them from their sin. Several people came to me since then and told me how it affected them or brought them to a saving faith. And I really believe that God is still using this tragedy to this day. I don't know if I'd have such a deep passion for God and his word, and especially his hurting people, if I did not go through all of this. He had used it countless times already to comfort and encourage others through what he has brought me through. I believe the more I have suffered, the more he teaches me how to comfort others. I've had several people call me in some pretty dark times in their life um, and being suicidal at that time. And the Lord just really used me at that time just through what he has taught me. I believe when you go through those great trials, there can be some great victory as well. Uh, God is attracted to our weakness. When we humbly and honestly admit how desperate we are for Him, it makes room for His mighty power. And I want to encourage you, if you yourself struggle, someone you love struggles, or you have lost someone to suicide, the verse in Nehemiah 8.10 says, In sorrow, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when I'm down and discouraged, nothing compares to what the Lord gives me when I spend time with Him. He is willing and able to help you draw near. There is hope spiritually and medically. Believe God. He is who he says he is. He is for you. Jeremiah 32:17 says, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing is too hard for you. He is the one who sees what you're going through. He is the one who knows how you feel. And he is the one who heals your broken heart. I pray this time I had with you expresses the seriousness of mental illness, the hope we have for healing, and help and encouragement to press on. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Gio. Well, there are some verses of Scripture, and I really am grateful to both Gio and to Rule and their families, who um, I'm sure, obviously, every time, this is talked about, brings up great pain. And yet at the same time, God is able to take tragedy. That's the wonderful thing about our God. He's able to take all things and to work them together so that he can use them in our lives and the lives of other people. And so in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, it says, praise be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion, the God of comfort, who comforts us all in all our troubles so that so that we. Might help others, as it says up there, that we can be used to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over our lives, so also through Christ our comfort can touch other people's lives. It's just we experienced. But along with that, there's a, another promise as you go through the scriptures that God uses these tragedies. He uses things that are difficult in our lives to draw us close to him. As it says, we do not want you to be uninformed, says Paul, brothers, about the hardships we suffer in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despair even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened again that we might rely on God. Not on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. And then one other verse, as it goes on, um, that you can give thanks, as is, is was said by Gio. Um, many people came to know Christ and were giving thanks as a result of this. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks in our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I want to share with you that I think God can take tragedies as he's taken these here. And we've heard them shared and testified and and we're open about it as a a body to be able to say God can take those very difficult things and transform them. But I also want to speak to people around this area of depression, around this this whole idea of depression that moves to suicide. Because it really is a lie. And if you are in a depressed state, There will be a lie, and it does come from the very pit of hell itself, which says that this world would be better off without you, and so would those around you be better off. That is truly a lie. I I myself um, have, in my family line, because part of this is a generational thing, this whole area is complex. That's why it's so important to recognize you need to, to deal with, get open with it, and begin to seek until God leads you to the right place for help and and the development of it. But I have to share with you, my mother was, she was, um, I said, four in the first year, she was six years of age when she had come home from her uh, kindergarten class and and was waiting there to go in for her father to have lunch ready. Her mom was away at that point. And um, she waited and waited and went back to school came back later and found that her father had um, committed suicide. And um, that marked her in a very, very deep way. I have to share with you, if you're in this place where you feel depressed and somehow you think that you can end it and it will be better for you and then you allow the lie to occur that it will be better for others, that's a lie. It is a lie. Because the pain is deep and it has impact. And I I just want us as a congregation to recognize that truth. But I also want to say to you this. Because in that state, in that place of hopelessness, in that sense of despair, there's a sense that there is no way you'll ever get out of it. I I, I know that. I was 20 years of age when I experienced a first bout of depression in my own heart. And after a couple months, you kind of think this is going to go away. And after you try and find some kind of magic pill, as you go to different people and you're trying to find something, you try. You're just hoping, and eventually you give up on that. And 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 one of the lies you begin to believe is that you're just going to go inward, and you don't want anyone else to know. And it's one of the worst things you can do. I remember sitting um, a few months into it, in fact, on my parents' couch during around the Christmas season, as everyone was watching TV. And my and when I read this, how long will I wrestle with my thoughts? My thoughts were just running so rapidly i know now i didn't know then but i know now that in that experience i experienced what would be called a nervous breakdown and no one around me knew it and i continued in this and i and what you have to know is about a year prior to that i came to my, to a faith in christ where i said jesus i want you to use my life to the fullest you can use it i gave everything over to him and i remember when i was doing that i was feeling I was feeling like I was, I had these thoughts of this is insane, this is crazy, you don't want to do this, and I, which was a spiritual kind of a attack, if anyone's ever received Christ or moved into giving your whole entire life to Christ, you'll have this kind of thought, this is crazy, this is insane, you don't want to do this. After that, I, it was probably about six months or so after that, I came into this place where I went through this about five and a half month period of depression. And I remember I had actually been reading the Bible, and after for about a, a month, after about four months into it, I stopped reading the Bible. Then I just continued to, to, to endure. That's all I can say. I didn't, there wasn't a lot of stuff about depression at that point. But I remember I started going back and I started reading God's Word. And I began to read God's Word. And I, I picked up His Word one day and I read from James 1, chapter 5, where it says the prayer of a righteous man is faithful. And it, it avails." the prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. You know, it does much. I read that and I didn't think a whole lot of it. Um, at the time, and I went for a run afterwards, and as I was going on this run, I had this experience, and this is my, my story, where it was like, this, this, I can just say the Spirit of God impressed so deeply on me. You are righteous, and this prayer is working for you. And all I can tell you is it began to lift after that point. Folks, there are all, this is a complex thing. There are spiritual components. There are physical components that need medical help. There are relational, um, generational kind of things that sometimes need therapeutic help. There are different, it has different roots. And there is truly, I believe, a spiritual component to it. But you need to know this truth. Go back to that slide, if you would, in Corinthians. Where it says in Second Corinthians... That he has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And prior to, just prior to that, too, it says that is the the God who raises Jesus from the dead. We need to know, and you need to know, if you're in this place, there is hope. God is available. And it may not be in, in, in a certain case that it's a magic pill that it just goes away. You'll talk to many, as Jewa said, I have experienced that there are times where you experience that. But as you grow in your character, as you find that kind of help, God begins you to lead you into a path where he can bring you to a place of victory and growth. And I just want to encourage you that there is a Lord Jesus Christ who has the ability. And, and one of the things that I just encourage people to do is this continue to rely and trust and seek Jesus don't ever give that up. Enlist others to pray for you. Get open. Let some people know. Don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. And third, pursue God's deliverance, like it says here in this verse. It could be medically, you know, some of the things that you need to do just to help. Sometimes it's just exercise, eating right. There are some basic things you can do: getting sleep. Avoiding isolation. I praise God. One of the greatest things in my life that has constantly, I think is as for my life, has helped me to, um, to basically takes the edge away from that, is constantly reading God's word and his energy lifting me up like on wings like an eagle. And I just want to encourage you that Jesus says that there's hope in him and there is deliverance. And so, pursue God's deliverance we're going to sing as the uh, team comes forward this, this this well-known hymn of a person who lost his family went back to the place they he lost his family at sea and this person came back to the place where it was said that his family was lost and this song was given to him um, it is well it is well with my soul let's stand together and sing this